возлюбленной Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за столь великую привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
And so before we again begin to study and immerse ourselves in our inheritance in Christ Jesus, the unchanging epigraph to our study of the Word of God, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the Law of Moses and the, and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning me, so that we as members of the body of Christ divide with Christ all that was written about him in Scripture. We will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the last days, and what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life to be clothed in a new way of life. I believe that a, a deeper, more trembling, fateful revelation the church has never seen or has never heard has been met with. This is the revelation of the last days, and I would like us to seriously and with trembling prepare our hearts to hearing the Word of God when we go to service, at home, at work, beginning to prepare ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22-24, through 24, a letter from Paul, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So for the fulfillment of this commandment, we know that there are three basic commands and verbs. This is to set aside, renew, and clothe. To confirm this commandment, we will refer to one more place of scripture in which the author provides an analogy for the truth that calls us to set aside our former way of life and its works that we can be clothed in the new man who has the ability to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We have noted that answering these faithful questions will affect whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it forever because of this our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life, although at one point they were written there. In a certain format, we have already examined the first two questions and have stopped to examine the question, what conditions must we fulfill so that through our renewed thinking we could begin the process 
context of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man, who is created by God in Christ Jesus in the righteousness and holiness of truth. And in regards to clothing ourselves into our new man, or into the powers of the resurrection of Christ, we came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of His mercy. The means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is none other than prayer and worship to the Heavenly Father in spirit and truth, because prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth and we are called to give God this right only on His established conditions. One of David's prayers written in the 143rd Psalm, where he gives God the right to interfere in his life with His mercy and truth, will be an example for us of our inheritance. And so Psalms 143, verses 1-12, I will read it, resurrect it in our memories. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and you can, when I am reading it, you can pray it, you can magnify it to God from your name. This will bless you and will open your hearts and give you the ability to understand God and what He wants to tell us together. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness, like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of the old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift my soul up to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, in you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God, your spirit is good, lead me in a land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. So destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant, meaning I am doing what is pleasing to you, but they afflict my soul. And to be heard by God, or uh, from David's perspective, this kind of proof in this prayer contained ten different arguments that David brought to God, saying, Hear me because of your righteousness and truth. 
Hear me, because I remember the days of the old and all of your works. Hear me, because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me, because I trust in you. Hear me, because I lift my soul up to you. Hear me, for I run to you. Hear me, because you are my God. Hear me, for your name. Hear me, for your mercy. And hear me, because I am your servant. In previous sermons, we have already examined the nature of the first argument that gave God the legal right to stand on David's behalf to help him withstand his enemies. And we have stopped to study the second argument. The second argument, evidence brought by David in prayer that showed that he remembered the days of the old and all the works of God in these days, written on the tablets of our heart. So practically, a remembrance of the days of the old and all the works of God in these days is the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ as a whole. And an image of this evidence is in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which was a standard for a constant memorial before God, containing the standard of a constant prayer. And this breastplate of judgment, as far as we know, was made for and served only one object, Urima Thummim the presence of which allowed God to hear man, and it allowed man to hear God. Obviously, not all saints, or rather, very few saints, have in their hearts Urim and Thummim. Oftentimes, they hear their voice or the voice of their own spirit or the voice of a seducing spirit, and they say, the Holy Spirit told me. Sometimes they call it their spirit, the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's a seductive spirit. But this is not the Mimunarim. This is not truth or the Holy Spirit that cooperates in this heart. This can be easily verified by Scripture as well as the image of the life that they live who their friends are, what they surround themselves with, how they dress, how they eat, how they worship, and so forth. And so to be heard by God in the revelations of His Urim, it was necessary to maintain a remembrance of the works of God in the subject of Thumim, which God made in the days of the old. A breastplate of judgment as a subject of a continual prayer before God is a sacred image of the format of a continual prayer. And so a prayer that does not meet the requirements and characteristics of a breastplate of judgment does not have a right to be called a prayer, because only the format of a continual prayer presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest gives us the right to draw near to God and enter the sanctuary as kings and priests to God so that we can represent the intercession that pursues the interests of His will and not our own desires. Here is how Scripture Apostle Paul talks about 
continuity, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2 We have noted that continuity in prayer is defined by a burning lamp that defines the state of the righteous heart of man. Proverbs 13.8 The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Not just burns, but burns brightly. The order of the makeup of the breastplate of judgment contains conditions that true worshippers of God, whom God searches for himself, are supposed to have. John chapter 4 verses 23 through 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Violating the order of the breastplate of judgment, which yields the state and nature of a worshiper of God, results in the breastplate of judgment losing its nature and its purpose. Therefore, worshiping the Father in spirit and truth is to not damage the truth in the pursuit of goals that are set by God in Scripture that many did before and many continue to do due to their ignorance or their hypocrisy or their jealousy. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.17 In the step to again, the press plate of judgment is called the sign of justice, because through Urim and Thummim that were contained in the breastplate of judgment, God could tell man his judgment. So when our heart will be formed into a breastplate of judgment and in it will dwell or rather the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit who unveils this teaching, then it is going to be a sign of justice. The image of the breastplate of judgment finds its expression in the conscience of man that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, as well as the seal, is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Dead works are works, so-called good works, evangelism, prayers, songs, but those things that come from man, the source of which is the flesh, and therefore these are called dead works. Only when this prayer, only when these songs, these good works are inspired by the Holy Spirit and come from the Holy Spirit, only then will these be deeds that are alive. Therefore, a conscience that is cleansed from dead works with the seal and the tablets of truth and rightness will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet Earth. In a certain format, we have already looked at the measurements and material out of which the breastplate of judgment was to be made. And we have stopped to look at the next condition, which states, and you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a carbuncle, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jason, and a gate, an amethyst. In the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. Exodus 28, 17 through 21.
We have noted that these 12 golden settings yield the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which, as the worshippers of God, we are called to represent in our continual prayer. In the 12 precious stones with the engravings of markings of the 12 names of the sons of Israel is an image of our prayer that represent the perfect judgments of God, the justice of God, that stands watch of divine holiness. From this we can conclude that the golden settings and the subject of the truth, that it is not the golden settings and the subject of the truth of the word of God that are engraved to fit the stones, but rather the stones and the subject of our prayers are engraved to fit the measurements and configurations of the golden settings of truth. A continual prayer is first and foremost an unceasing prayer that finds its expression in trust in God, in which a person representing the interests of God and his intercession does not step away from the goal until he receives what he has asked for. The makeup of the breastplate of judgment in our heart is represented in the tree of life that is presented in the Revelation of John, and not just in the Revelation of John. David also has this, that uh, in the Psalms of David, a righteous flourishes like a palm tree, and so forth. Or the righteous will be like a tree planted near the living waters. Is This tree um, is located in the writings of Ezekiel. Growing the tree of life in our heart is building ourselves into the new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth into a spiritual dwelling, a holy place. We have noted that all of the grandeur and order of the temple was made for one holy object and it served only one holy object. This is the golden ark of the covenant. The same way the ephod of the high priest with the breastplate of judgment was created and served only one holy object, which was called to exactly double and fulfill the functions of the golden ark. This is Urim and Thummim. Because the golden ark of the covenant and the breastplate of judgment figuratively represented the conscience of a person that has been cleansed, cleansed from dead works. With the teachings placed inside of it with truth. Urimanthumim means light and perfection, light and right, or revelation and truth. The Decalogue placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant was truth, and this truth was presented on the breastplate of judgment as Thumim. The revelation that a person could receive under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was presented in the breastplate of judgment as Urim, or the Holy Spirit. A worshiper of God can only be a person who has a conscience that is cleansed from dead works, or who has a wise heart on the tablets of which is sealed the truth in the subject of the meme. Because of this, the revelation of God in the subject of Marim could exist only in the boundaries of truth that are represented by Thumim in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. As it is written, that I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31.6 Again, I repeat and I affirm that this comes from Scripture, that God will never place His revelation, His wisdom into a foolish heart. A foolish a heart is a heart of an infant that is swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings. This is a carnal person who resists 
Why? Because neither the carnal person or an infant contains the truth in the format of the teaching of Jesus Christ. They grasp here and there, and on the foundation of one scripture, they make some kind of conclusions. And we know today, not just these people, but we know these kind of episcopals who call themselves leaders, who lead some kind of uh, some kind of flocks, although some of these flocks have never seen him in the eye. Therefore, um, we're referring to a property of wisdom that is contained in the Mimunarim and the fact that the carriers of the Mimunarim are worshippers of God and have the immune system or the immunity of the whole of the Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verses 8 through 11 and of Levi this name or the meaning of this name there is the fate of each holy person who has a who has a breastplate of judgment and the Levi he said let your thumim and your arim be with your holy one Levi meaning attached to God dependent on the Holy Spirit led by the Spirit of God that is the meaning of the name Levi, whom you tested at Masach and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. So again, Levi is one who does not uh, justify the lawlessness of his children. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who arise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. So Moses prayed a according to inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because the Levites, those attached to God, they cannot protect themselves. And therefore, when Moses had carried out this prayer, he had ratified these words, and they came into a law to God. And now every person who throws some kind of... Uh, lie to the carriers of Urim and Thummim, he has subjected himself to such judgment that is impossible to be justified from because God can forgive a person for God will never forgive a person for uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit or the carrier of Urim and Thummim. In a certain format, we have already examined the first five properties of a worshiper of God through whom God could continually express and fulfill His will on planet Earth. And we have stopped to examine the sixth component of a worshiper expressed on the breastplate of judgment of our heart and the virtue of the precious diamond stone. We know that the sixth name on the second row from the bottom that was engraved in the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment on the tablets of our heart was the name of the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, meaning wrestler. Genesis chapter 30, verses 7 through 8. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. And so she called his name Naphtali. The name of God is in the precious diamond stone 
and each diamond stone presented one of the names of God. According to Jewish rabbis, in Hebrew means El Hai, which translated to Russian means living God. Therefore, according to the meaning of the name Naphtali and the precious diamond stone, we know that the function of the sixth principle laid as a foundation of our constant prayer with which we need to serve a continual as a continual memorial before God. This is our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to be with us in prayer battle against the powers of darkness that go against us fulfilling the will of God, the name of the living God. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. We have noted that the name of the living God was the format of an oath, and that category of the holy nation that did not learn how to swear by the living God and swore to him falsely, they were headed to total annihilation. Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. And it shall be if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, as we had just said, the Lord lives, I will reach the end. And when you swear by this, by the name of the Lord, you give God the basis for Him to begin through the Holy Spirit to fight with you, to show you a path through the, the trials and the struggles. As the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, and they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord, in order to not be eradicated and destroyed destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to be taught the ways of the nation of God to swear by the name of God, a high or living God. And these paths are the paths of the commandments and statutes of God, the condition that gives the right to be taught the paths and statutes so that we can swear by the name of the living God is the desire of their knowledge. Discipleship of the desire of their knowledge. Psalms 119 verses 32 through 35. I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. What's interesting is that in the original, this word, for you shall enlarge my heart, meaning when my heart begins to offer fruit, only then I will be able to run the course of your commandments. Until a person offers fruit, he cannot run the course of the commandments of God. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. We have noted that in Hebrew, the name of the living God, living means dwelling, great, unlimited in power, determining our being, creator of being, containing our being, preserving our being, overlooking over our being, and the Lord of our being. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 20-21 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast, and take oaths in His name. He is your praise, and He is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. The result of of taking an oath in the name of the living God always meant the fulfillment of the promise for which God or for which we made an oath unto God. The power of a warrior of prayer that is contained in the virtue of the name of the living God 
are called to represent the limitless authority of God over our being and in the time and limits allotted to us. We will need to define what purpose is God pursuing when He calls His children to become warriors of prayer, as well as how and under what conditions can God give a person the right to become a warrior of prayer so that a person could represent the in interests of God and the realization of His inheritance in God. According to Scripture, being a warrior of prayer is a legitimate and privileged inheritance of saints of all time. This is their original purpose expressed in their calling to trample the wickedness of the wicked in prayer battle. And third, this is one of the greatest provisions that is given by God to man, in which a person becomes a king and priest unto God, and is seen by God as a diamond with the engraving of the name Naphtali. By not being a king and priest unto God, in the virtue of which a person could, could rule his emotional organ with his informational organ, with his renewed thinking, it is impossible to be a warrior of prayer. Therefore, the informational organ that is intended to rule over the emotional sphere of our soul is the renewed thinking of man with the mind of Christ. The prayer of a warrior of prayer is a kind of sacred and valued mystery that has an unearthly origin. Therefore, the genesis of prayer, just as the genesis of God, has no beginning and no end. Prayer is the tongue of God identifying the essence of God and yielding the word of God that defines the genesis of God. Prayer was always the mystery of God as well as dwelled in the presence of God as his golden scepter of grace. Communication between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit occurs in the language of prayer, in the properties of prayer. That's why this prayer is always in the presence of God, and it dwells as his golden scepter of grace, which he stretched out only on the one who sought his faith and to do his will. Whoever dared to come to him on their own conditions without being called into his presence, led his golden scepter of goodwill to not stretch upon that person. And so the prayer of this kind of person was not heard by God. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. John 9, 31. There are many other places in Scripture that talk about how not only does God not hear sinners, but because they express vain words, meaning empty words, in which there is no way they speak that which is not in their heart. They say, I love you, uh, whereas they, they don't. They're lying to themselves and they're trying to lie to him as well as to people. It's written that God will uproot these people and will destroy them from his garden, from his vineyard. The right to draw near to God and stand before God in prayer is God's prerogative. No one himself will be able to draw near or come to God who abides in his inaccessible light. So, in order to abide in his inaccessible light, it's necessary to have a certain right from him so that he calls us to this light. And this is what Jeremiah writes about this. Who has he called to this light? Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 21 and, 30, and 22. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? He shall be my people, and I will be your God.
Not one of the cherubims, seraphims, can draw near to God. Besides this, this captain, they can draw near to God through him. And he told them, you can draw near through my body, through my children. Therefore, the angels of God can draw near to God through that wisdom that God has placed in each of us. So that the wisdom of God may be known in the face of the church. Therefore it says, I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord. And when I will create this ruler for my people, then you will be my people and I will be your God. Drawing near and coming to God, as we already know, can be done by only one ruler who will rise from the seed of the nation of Abraham. This is the Son of God in the status of the Son of Man, in whom all who are born of God, who search for God, could draw near to God in him, and through him. According to revelations from Scripture, our prayer and the quality of warriors of prayer, yielded by the virtues of a diamond, are supposed to be first, unceasing or continual, second, perseverant, third, diligent, fourth, with boldness, fifth, reverential, sixth, with showing faith to God, seventh, with thanksgiving, eighth, with joy, ninth, in the fear of the Lord, tenth, in the Holy Spirit, or by prayer in tongues. During our last sermons, we talked about seven characteristics that define the state of the heart of a warrior of prayer as well as the quality of his prayer. Therefore, we will turn our attention to the eighth characteristic. This is prayer that is clothed in an unearthly or unblemished joy. But before, I will mention the antonyms of the characteristics of prayer that were already the subject of our study because by looking at the antonyms of the characteristics we will better understand the property and character of the uh, character of the prayer itself first the antonym of unceasing is irregularity second antonym of diligence is resistance the antonym of perseverance is laziness the antonym of boldness is audacity the antonym of reverence is hatred the antonym of the faith of God is unfaithfulness or resistance toward the faith of God. The antonym of thanksgiving is ungratefulness. And the antonym of joy is sorrow or sadness. As we know, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Furthermore, we have noted that each of the ten characteristics are located in one another, comes from one another, strengthens one another, fulfills one another, and defines the truth of one another. In this manner, in each of the ten characteristics, there exists a balance of the other characteristics. Therefore, the truth of each characteristic is checked by the presence of the other characteristics in it, which in all its fullness create a balance that is perfect in knowledge. Even then, each of the ten characteristics, as we know, has its own Face that cannot be copied, has its own taste, smell, and character of behavior, and therefore it has its own purpose and application.
Like in the other cases, it will be necessary for us to examine how does Scripture view the virtue of unearthly joy? What is the value or weight of unearthly joy? What is its purpose, and how should it be expressed in prayer? To define the essence of unearthly joy in the conditions that we must fulfill to grow and release its virtue in prayer, it will be necessary for us to take a look at these aspects. This is the definition and purpose of the fruit of joy in prayer, the price for gaining and releasing the fruit of joy, keeping and cultivating the fruit of joy, the fruit and reward received from expressing pure joy in prayer, and so the first question. With what measuring instrument should we define the root of unearthly joy? What are the properties of an earthly joy, and what is the purpose hidden in the source out of which flows an earthly joy? As much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we will try to study eternal, the eternal mystery of God and unearthly joy. In Scripture, the property or character contained in the word joy, as in the characteristic before, is seen in prayer as a command and a military order, non-compliance of which will result in death and destruction of the, of the relationship contained in a covenant with God. This is how Apostle Jude summarized his short letter to the Church of Christ by notating joy into a certain rank as part of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And this has become our standard. We manifest it every time we conclude our service. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy or unblemished joy. From these words, we know that on one hand, a blemish in joy is a lack of a foundation that will keep us from stumbling to present us faultless before the presence of his glory. Second, the glory of God, according to these words, abides in the atmosphere of unblemished joy and is an expression of unblemished joy. Blemish and joy is a spot that yields uncleanliness, malice, and lies. A person who is not free from this blemish cannot be allowed to enter in heaven in virtues such as joy as well as other characteristics. As it is written, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelation 21-27. So if joy is blemished, then a person will not enter into heaven, he will lose his salvation. Therefore, from the presence of the virtue of unblemished joy in prayer or service to God, which we will study will not only depend on our present but also our future. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 47 through 48. It says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of everything, therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger, in thirst, and nakedness, and in need of everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck 
until he has destroyed you. And so the definition of the essence contained in the word joy, as well as the other characteristics, is directly related to the quality of our faith as well as the quality of our obedience toward the will of God. And so we will turn to the source of unearthly or unblemished joy as well as its properties. And as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us to, we will try to study the mystery of God in its characteristics. First, the definition of the essence and purpose of unblemished joy in prayer will be a direct result of the fact that this kind of joy can only come from a pure person who is pure in state and expresses this kind of state. Second, if the atmosphere of unblemished joy abides in our heart, then our prayer will also express the properties of this joy. Third, we must distinguish earthly or ordinary joy from unearthly joy or supernatural joy, which has its distinctive roots in God, its source in God, and its origin in God. Whereas earthly joy has its roots, source, and its origin in the dying flesh, or rather, the natural sphere of man, or the sphere of his satisfied desires and emotions. Because of this, on one hand, these are two absolute opposite properties and understandings of the source and expression of joy. On the other hand, these are two programmed properties that are opposite of one another and are planted in the heart of a person in the format of a seed. And since the heart of a person is a programmable device, then that kind of joy that a person favors clothes him and it begins to rule in his essence. And if we prefer earthly joy, then it on one hand will measure our relationship with God and on the other hand will oppress unearthly joy. If we prefer unearthly joy, then it will also measure our relationship with God. But aside from earthly joy that oppresses unearthly joy, unearthly joy will not oppress earthly joy, but on the contrary, it will clothe it, clothe it into a virtue and control and balance its expansion so that in certain conditions it could involve it in worship to God. I will provide an example how unearthly joy bridles or rather controls or clothes earthly joy for service to God. And the 70 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, so obviously for them they had earthly joy because earthly joy unearthly joy he has said to them, I saw Satan who had fallen. Jesus said, I saw him with, I gave you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing should by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. When you rejoice in this, then the demons will, will be submissive. The reason why they are submissive to you is because your names are written in heaven. 
You see how clothing clothing them in earthly joy. He directed earthly joy in a corrected way. He said, why are you rejoicing? Jesus, as a son of man, Christ did not oppress the carnal joy of his disciples, but instead changed the goals or redirected joy to the purpose, to the purpose of rejoicing. The thing is that because of its supernatural abilities, it is impossible to test unearthly joy without feeling it in our physical abilities. Because apart from earthly joy, it is not an emotion or feeling that lifts the mood. Supernatural joy is a discipline of the mind and heart that creates peace in the heart of a person and balances, controls, and leads over feelings and emotions. As we will see further on, unearthly joy that is found in prayer is one of the properties and names of God himself, as well as the children born of him in whom the property of joy can be accepted only in the seed of the word of grace and the face of the Holy Spirit, and only then to grow through discipline of the mind, heart, and will can we continually abide in the word of God and Holy Spirit. Therefore, supernatural joy in its origin and expression is stable, continual, unchanging, absolute, does not depend on earthly circumstances, and does not satisfy earthly desires. Of the saints of Macedonia is written, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abundant in the riches of their liberality. You see, this joy leads this joy lead, makes them so generous so rich in their liberality that upon great affliction and poverty they are abounded in the riches of their liberality a chapter higher apostle paul testified in regards to help in his relationship with unearthly joy i am filled with comfort i am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation so he says, this unearthly joy fills me. Based on these evidences, we see that unearthly joy does not depend on and cannot be diminished by tribulations and sufferings. We must understand that earthly joy, apart from unearthly joy, is short-lived and imperfect, because apart from unearthly joy, earthly joy is subject to shipwreck and depends on outer factors and satisfaction of earthly desires. For example, defining earthly joy, Scripture states that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment, Job 2.25. And furthermore, even in laughter the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief, Proverbs 14.13. We know that unearthly joy is stable 
It will never allow sorrow. It is protected from sorrow. It will joy among loss and among gains. In relation to people with unclean hearts and hands that have filled the church then and now, Apostle James wrote, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned in to mourning and your joy to gloom, James 4.9. This indicates that for the substitution of unearthly joy with earthly joy and hope in unearthly joy, which people preferred over unearthly joy, God will one day bring them to judgment. You can find this in the pseudo-charismatic churches and you'll see how they scream there, they laugh there, and they jump there during so-called worship. And then, they fall asleep during the sermon. I had seen this when I had just come, when I went, um, visited certain churches, and I saw that certain Christians thought, this is such power, this is such spirituality. But when I saw that after this, when someone crossed their legs, sat on his chair, and began to fall asleep while chewing his gum, I figured that this is something so unfamiliar to us because this was unfamiliar. Ecclesiastes 11.9 Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, for all these, God will bring you into judgment. So you can rejoice with unearthly joy only when you prefer it. In order to confirm the impermanence, vanity, and worthlessness of earthly joy in isolation and the dominance of joy over which abides an eternal life, I will cite several statements regarding earthly joy by people doomed to perdition, but with soberly but with soberly thinking. This is how certain people have defined. Uh, there was this poet called Obolduyev. Uh, he was born in 1898, and this is how he talked about joy. Our joy is unsociable, soul and delirium, a sick dream. A drinking cup of life is a homeless restlessness. Pay attention. In what artistic image the Russian poet Abolduyev clothed earthly joy? By the way, the Russian word Abolduyev, fool, means donkey, idiot. This is what his last name literally meant, meant fool, donkey, idiot. So, if you take the word fool or abuldu as it is in Russian, this is the definition of his last name. Or perhaps if he would have changed his last name, because I think he was some kind of Orthodox priest, then he wouldn't have made these kind of assumptions about joy. Uh, this is what Alexander Pushkin had wrote. He is the god of the Russian people that many, he's one of the idols that many people worship. Here's what he said about joy. Everything is ghost, vanity, everything is rubbish and disgusting. A glass and beauty, that's the joy of life. So he had showed his insides, he was an alcohol, and so forth. Here's how Avicenna, the scientist and encyclopedist of the Eastern Middle Ages, wrote, Earthly joy is just a moment before the eternity that awaits us. Uh, in Fleischer, French preacher said, Criminal joy does not give true pleasure. 
Виктор Франк, австрийский психиатр, психолог. В нашу жизнь приходит радость, когда у нас есть чем заняться, есть кого любить и есть на что надеяться. Некий Бауст, ученый, не может быть искренней веселости, когда совесть нечиста. Джонсон, английский поэт, критик и лексикограф. От человека, которого невозможно развеселить, добрых дел ждать не приходится. Люди, умеют веселиться. Хорошо. А теперь обратимся к уникальной мудрости Писания по определению неземной радости рассмотрим There is no reason to expect good deeds from a person who cannot be amused and people who can have fun are not attached to money and people who are attached to money cannot have fun This was written by B. Shao. Now let us turn to the unique wisdom of God in defining unearthly joy and study its properties and essence in God At the same time we will take into account that we will consider the dignity of unearthly joy none other than in the heart of a person who has been reborn from an incorruptible seed the word of truth abiding in Christ. First, to determine the merits of an earthly joy, we will begin in the person of God as the Lord of personified joy. Because it is God by his eternal and unchanging nature who is the God of joy and gladness, and therefore God is the source, the standard, and the measure of unearthly joy. Because of this, unearthly joy is not only a property atmosphere in which God dwells, but also one of his glorious names, with which he triumphs over his enemies. Otherwise, how could an atmosphere of perfect and victorious joy emanate from him if he by his nature was not the personification and standard of this all-victorious joy? Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalms 43, 4-5. As one we must say to ourselves, O my soul, why are you disquieted you within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. First Chronicles. Considering that God is the God of joy and gladness, and the place where God dwells will be a place of joy and gladness. First Chronicles 16.27. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and gladness are in His place. First Chronicles 16.27. Under the holy place where the power of joy emanating from the power and joy of God dwelling in this holy place abide, there are three unique dimensions closely related to each other and abiding in each other. This is the height of the heaven, sanctuary, represented by the people chosen by God in a broken and humble heart of a righteous person. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And specifically where God dwells, he gives this joy, this life. The next component that determines the source of unearthly joy in the heart of man is the cornerstone of our justification in the face of the Lord Jesus laid by God in our heart at the foundation of the creation of heaven and earth. Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7. We are looking at this in our heart. 
and not somewhere outside of our heart. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Imagine, if the image of these questions is considered outside the limits of the human heart reborn from God, then the creation of the visible universe loses its meaning and its purpose. This thought is reflected in one of the parables which tells about a mysterious treasure found by a man in a field, which became the source of his joy, for the possession of which he, from the joy of the treasure he found, goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 Again the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In this parable the image of the field is a supernatural sphere of the area that determines the wise human heart in which the mirror and Urim abide in which abides in Thumim and Urim. So this is a heart that dwells in the Word of God and the Word of God that dwells in the heart. To sell everything that we have for the right to possess the field of a wise heart, the treasure of which are Thumim and Urim means to die with joy to our people, our home, and our corrupt desires clothed in their own virtue. So this is a price in order to pay all, to sell all that we have, to die to all that we have, so that we can have Thumim and Urim in our hearts. Having found this treasure, we, they, we understand, he understands that if he does not gain this field, if he does not place all that he has into circulation, he cannot have this treasure, although it is on his field, although he has discovered it. A person receives the joy of salvation in the format of a seed, but if he does not place it into circulation, to place into circulation means to die to our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. This is what Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is what kind of joy we are referring to. We see here that the joy of God is the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And in order to have the cooperation of these two formats of wisdom in our heart, it is necessary to pay a certain price. The next component that determines unearthly joy for all those who are pre-chosen and destined for salvation is in our hearts the incarnation of the Messiah whom God put as the cornerstone of all visible and invisible. Visible is our body, invisible is our spirit.
Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord uh, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now imagine all people go along the streets of Portland and ask, can you tell me, do you have some kind of joy? Are you are you joyful in something? And if so, what are you, what do you have joy in? Even the streets, not even the streets of Portland, but churches go around, what are you joyful? What are you rejoicing today? And you will find out that it's not Christ, that's their great joy this will be joy for very few people he will come and save his own people from their sins his chosen ones his own people therefore the city of David in which Christ was born is Bethlehem which in Hebrew means the city of bread the image of such a city in our nature is our heart reborn from the incorruptible seed of the word of truth called to be the house of the incorruptible bread that comes down from above, yielded by the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh or was born in the temple of our body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's the house of God, the house of bread, it turned out this was our body, the temple, and there in it, in the heart of a person, is found Lord. This is the house of prayer. We know that about David, God told the prophet Samuel, I have found a man after my own heart. The name David means beloved by God. Jesus, revealing himself to the Apostle John to his people, his chosen people on the island of Patmos, said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. However, this meaning does not exhaust the fate intended, intended in laid down in this unique name for the people chosen by God, headed by Christ. The name David also means demonstration, proof, argument, omen, sign. Thus, a person beloved by God is a person who has realized the redemption of God, which was yielded in his heart by the sealing of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. It is such a person who will be a sign of the great achievements of God, which God will demonstrate and make through, his, through this person, known before heaven, earth, and hell. In other words, a person who is loved by God in Christ Jesus will be distinguished by God from other people in that he will be the subject and proof of God's love. Revelation 3.9 Indeed, I will make those of the synagogues of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. The next component that determines earthly joy in our heart 
determines it as one of the three unique virtues that identify the kingdom of heaven in our heart. Joy is one of the properties of the kingdom of heaven in our heart. Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 18, where the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans 14, 17 through 18. Joy as a property and atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven in this statement in Hebrew means the following. Laughter, delight, joy, celebration, feast and honor of the day of victory, perfection or poise of balance of perfection, replenishment of desires or the lack of sadness. We talked about this verse already, Proverbs 17:22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And so in Hebrew, merry means filled with laughter, heart filled with laughter. A merry heart means heart filled with laughter. We should not confuse ridicule with laughter because ridicule is mockery and humiliation. While laughter in this statement is the replenishment of joy that gushes and pours out of a person's heart, thus healing him from diseases. If we have this kind of joy, it is going to demonstrate itself in such joy that this joy, this merriness, will be like medicine that will begin to heal us from illnesses. You know that medical scientists, and I have studied this not for the first time and many years ago and numerous times and today, they've come to the conclusion that sincere laughter is capable of healing a person since it triggers the mechanism of self-healing of the affected cells in the human body. They say, we can't show it this mechanism like the heart, like kidneys, but in the body of a person, this mechanism exists, it's unseen. When a person truly laughs, this mechanism begins to uh, self-heal the affected cells. And if ordinary laughter caused by wit is capable of triggering the mechanism of self-healing of the affected cells, then even more does joy and laughter caused by faith and hope and who God is for us and what God has done for us. Here are some aphorisms written by philosophers, scientists, writers, doctors, and politicians regarding laughter. Not joy, but laughter specifically. And I didn't um, write their names, but I can save our time. But laughter, they write, is a disinfectant. Laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Laughter is a kind of no man's land between faith and despair. Laughter is the sun that drives winter away from a human face. Another one says, I think, therefore I laugh. Whoever laughs forgives everything. Laughter rather than sadness makes us reasonable. With whom you can laugh, so you can work together. 
So, when you select co-workers for yourselves, if you can't laugh with them, or don't choose them as employees or co-workers, even when there is no reason for laughter, laugh in credit. Only laughter can harmlessly execute evil and strengthen good relations. Tell me what the people are laughing at and I will tell you why they are ready to shed their blood. It is impossible to truly love a person with whom you have never laughed. Man is the only living being who knows how to laugh, although he has the least reason for this. In other words, unearthly joy expressed in joy and laughter, which we are examining, is a programmatic property of God, identifying in the heart of a righteous person the kingdom of the atmosphere of the abundant grace of God. Practically, righteousness as a definition of the kingdom of God in man is the foundation from which such virtues as peace and joy are raised and born in the Holy Spirit. This is righteousness that has these properties of peace and joy. A righteousness that is not an expression of blameless joy cannot be called righteous, just as joy that is not an expression of righteousness that guards the boundaries of divine holiness cannot be called joy. The next component that defines unearthly joy as identification in our heart of the kingdom of heaven, it refers it to one of the components of the fruit of our spirit grown from the seed of justification accepted by us in Christ Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Genesis, Galatians 5, 22-23. Righteousness that cannot confirm and show itself in the above-listed virtues of righteousness, including the virtue of joy, cannot be called a de-righteousness. At the same time, all the existing virtues are called upon to be in a wonderful balance with each other by virtue of which each virtue is tested and identified by the presence in it of all other virtues that yield the righteousness of the heart. Thus, it is precisely the justification accepted by a person freely by grace, the redemption in Christ Jesus, and then having passed into the format of righteousness that nurtured and clothed the human heart with dignity and an atmosphere of triumphant joy. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Light means dawn, resurrection, Life. Light, again, is life, not just life, but eternal life, the life of God. Now, fades away means goes out, dies, rooted out, being dug up, breaks out, disappears. God says, I will root out. A person, I will uproot my, my kingdom in a person who does not have joy and gladness in their heart. Scary, isn't it? We are used to seeing people whose eyes are dimmed, who don't smile at anything. You can't talk with them about anything. You can only talk about religious things with them. 
And so the next component that determines the source of wonderful joy in our heart is called to be Mount Zion on the northern side and which is the city of the great king. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the side to the north, the city of the great king, Psalms 48.2. The image of Mount Zion in our hearts, which gives us unearthly joy, is our organized partaking to the bride of the Lamb, represented by the chosen saints, from the multitude of those called to salvation, whom God has made in our hearts sources of salvation. Here is what it says in Isaiah chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, from the wells of salvation. So each of us for one another are called to be these wells of salvation. And in joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. These are our relationships, our correct relationships is drawing out healing or salvation to one another. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His deeds among the peoples, make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all of the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 3-6. Therefore, enjoy we will draw Apostle Paul writes it's when we for one another are healing and when we serve when we stoop down to one another God wants us to be joy for one another and not sadness and sorrow therefore we must behave ourselves this way try to act with each other in such a way to be joy and not as sadness and sorrow the northern side of Mount Zion on which the city of the great king is located is a place of worship in the heart of man. And the city of the great king, located on the northern side of Mount Zion, is our royal dignity which we gained in Christ Jesus when we allowed the Holy Spirit, through the righteousness of our hearts, to reign the grace of God. The city of the great king, if the grace of God has reigned in you, you have a great king. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5.21. And we know that righteousness gives birth to peace and joy. And of course, as we have repeatedly stated, in order for grace to reign through righteousness in our hearts, it is necessary to forget and, by the roots, pluck from our hearts our people, our house, and our corrupt desires that are known as dead works. Psalms 45, verses 10 through 16. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also in your father's house. The king will greatly desire your beauty, because he is your Lord. Worship him. And a daughter of Tyr will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. This is how the kingdom of heaven is explained. This is not the full translation, not the full definition. But because our time has drawn, come to a conclusion, we will worship God and thank Him that we have been able 
to be united to with joy, gladness, laughter. Not literally, but supernatural that can sometimes even cause real, true laughter and joy, or earthly, rather earthly laughter and joy. We will praise God that we have had this revelation. May the Lord bless us. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bow down with my people and I thank you for joy that dwells in my heart from that justification and that righteousness that creates it. I rejoice that you have made us your holy priesthood, that you have given us the opportunity to worship in spirit and truth. You have given us the opportunity to understand what the resurrection of Christ for us is in the face of our new man. You have given us the opportunity to understand that blessing and thanking you for the fact that you have pulled us into the new man, calling the inexistent as existent. We, in doing so, give you the foundation at that time you will find it necessary to clothe us into the new man in, who in our life will be manifested such joy that will bring to fear all of those who will see me with our eyes because on it will be the triumph of great joy which today is hidden in our hearts as the hope of glory, Christ in us. I'm very sorrowful that many of your children walk saddened. They're dependent on their losses. They're dependent on their afflictions, but they're not dependent on that greatness of glory and that joy that they hear about, that they place in their hearts. Allow them to not just know who God is for them, and what God has said for them, but to proclaim this with their lips, to proclaim this in all, in all circumstance, in all place, and may they be blessed before your countenance, for your heart desires and languishes to pour out its healing in merriness, gladness, and joy, laughter, so that your people can understand the freedom of Christ. They can understand the healing that you gave on the cross and placed on our accounts, but it yet remains undesired because your people do not have the ability to thank you for the inexistent. Many of them want to rejoice only when they receive it in the equivalent of things on earth. But you want us to rejoice having received this joy in the heavenly, the invisible equivalent. Let this be understood by the hearts of your people. Let it be accepted in their hearts. And may your people cry out before you and rejoice. For you have brought gladness to our souls because you have placed such great joy in our hearts and has become the city of the great king where we can worship. Our heart has become the great sanctuary, the place of worship, the Eden where we meet with you and you meet with us, where we hear your voice, where you hear us and we hear you. May your holy name, your word, be magnified, which makes joyful and glad our hearts. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation deliver us from the hand of the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and now proclaiming our unchanging manifestation which coincides with today's topic now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever Amen.